Now time for the BCHL Podcast. Here's Finn Williams to end the game to the fourth. Yeah. scores! There's a backdoor play. What a goal! Zach Michaelis! Rolling puck in front. Tied up in skate. Rowan Clark with a heroic save. My goodness, Rowan Clark. What did you eat for pregame? Real balls, real shoot scores! Patrick for Nick Real. Donaldson driving the goal, wrapping around. He scores! Brilliant goal by Sean Donaldson. Schleppi to the goal. Once again, he scores! Oh my word, Tyler Schleppi with a dandy! Three on one. A move. Vito back to a move. What a save by May. Coming across with the left leg. My goodness. Hey there. Welcome to the BCHL podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Adamson. Well, we may be in the middle of the summer months, but we still have some fresh content for you. Today, we are back with a brand new episode with a couple of very special guests. But before we get to that guest list, I want to tell you about some news going on around the BCHL. Uh, And it ties into uh, both of our guests today. So uh, last week, the BCHL announced the first of several uh, changes to the names of existing BCHL awards. On Thursday of last week, it was announced that the league's top goaltender award will now be known as the Michael Garteg Trophy. And of course, Michael Garteg is a former BCHL standout goaltender who holds most goaltending records. When you have a look at the BCHL record book, he spent two years with the Powell River Kings and another with the Penticton V's uh, in his BCHL career that lasted from 2009 to 2012. Um, After that, earlier this week, the league announced that its top defenseman award will now be known as the Campbell Blair Trophy. Campbell Blair is another former BCHL player. He played in the league from 1983 to 1987. He spent time with the Shoe Swap Totems, the Summerland Buckaroos, and the Vernon Lakers. Uh, He really came into his own uh, during his time with the Lakers near the end of his career. Um, really started putting up uh, some really eye-popping numbers uh, when it comes to offense from the blue line. And because of that, he holds several records uh, among defensemen in the BCHL, including uh, most goals and most points in a single season by a blue liner, as well as most career assists and career points by defensemen in the BCHL. And finally, just yesterday, it was announced that the league's uh, Broadcaster of the Year Award will be renamed the Jim Hewson Award. Of course, Jim Hewson is a familiar name to most hockey fans in this province. He was the voice of the Vancouver Canucks on the radio and on television for decades, uh, and then also was uh, a national broadcaster doing games for Hockey Night in Canada, including several Stanley Cup finals, as well as uh, Olympic hockey tournaments. And all of that leads to our two guests today. It was a couple of the people that you just heard about. Uh, On today's episode, we speak with longtime NHL broadcaster Jim Hewson, as well as former BCHL player and actually former BCHL coach Campbell Blair. First up is our conversation with Jim Hewson. As I mentioned, he got his start calling games in the BCJHL in the 70s. Uh, went on to call games for the Canucks and became the voice of hockey in Canada for at least a couple of decades. So uh, it was great to catch up with him. Uh, He is currently the chairman of the board of the BC Hockey Hall of Fame since he retired from broadcasting in 2021. Um, So we had a great conversation, um, lots of memories about his career and, of course, touching on his days in the BCHL and what it means to him to have the league's broadcaster of the year award now named after him. So 
Uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to it. Here is our conversation with Jim Hewson. All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me here. Um, uh, first things first, you recently retired from the broadcast booth after a long career calling games in the NHL. Um, how has uh, retirement been treating you so far? Oh, I was ready. So it treats me very well. Um, I love the game, enjoyed the game. Uh, it, it's given myself and my family so much. Um, but it was time. I had uh, over 40 years of broadcasting and uh, was just ready to not, not to leave the game because I love the game and I still watch the game and I'm like I just watched the Stanley Cup final. And I, it was fantastic, and I didn't miss a second of it. But I, but what I did, uh, I didn't miss either. Was uh, traveling and being in hotels and being away from my family for months at a time. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of re- retirement, if that's what you want to call it. I just stopped working. Um, is uh, it's all good. It's very good. What uh, what have you been up to? I know you're involved in the Hockey Hall of Fame. We'll, we'll BC Hockey Hall of Fame. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, what else have you been up to uh, now that you're not calling games anymore? Uh, you know what? Not very much. And uh, I've been really good at it. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, my days are full. Um, I have a great family. I spend a lot of time with them. I I golf. I run. I ride. Um, so, yeah, filling a day is not a difficult thing for me. So it's not been problematic. And I knew that. I knew that before. I knew I was the kind of person. I've always been a, I've always been a work-to-live person as opposed to a live-to-work person. Right. And that doesn't mean, doesn't mean that I didn't dive into my work and uh, enjoy it every second of it. But uh, I've always enjoyed my life of leisure, and now I've got a lot more time of it, and uh, I, I think I'm award-winning at it. <laughs> so you, you mentioned the Stanley Cup final. Um, game six, we're recording this the day after game six, so Colorado beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, uh, as a, a BCHL podcast, we had, we had three BCHL alumni on the Avalanche. Uh, you've obviously... Uh, watched and called a lot of Stanley Cup finals in the past. Where does that Avs team rank for you as far as some of the the best champions that you've seen uh, in your time in the league? Well, they're excellent. Um, They might be the fastest. It it might be the fastest team that I've seen win a cup. Um, They play the game at an incredible pace. And that, that kind of leads the National Hockey League in that regard. The National Hockey League has played at a, a pace now that in my lifetime, it's never been played at. Uh, if you can't skate, if you can't play fast, you can't play in the NHL. And the Avalanche pushed the pace constantly. Uh, but you know what? What's their legacy? That We don't even know that. Um, they're just getting started. Um, they're the new champions. They knocked off the two-time defending champions who I have so much admiration for because they were such a good team and such a professional team. And from my money, such a fun team to watch because of the way they played the game over the last few years. Um, And under some really interesting conditions, like there should almost be an asterisk beside their 2020 uh, Stanley Cup championship, not because there were no fans there, but because, but because there were no fans there, 
Um, that might have been a, that might have been one of the hardest Stanley Cups for anybody to ever win. To be segregated from your family and your friends, and to be, you know, locked into a bubble for that length of time, and still have the concentration and the wherewithal to stay with it and win a Stanley Cup. I, I was I had so much admiration for that win for them. The next year, you know, was sort of half and half. And then this year to get back to the Stanley Cup final, like what a team. Um, but to knock them off, it took a fantastic effort. And I think in, you know, in game six, what we saw was the avalanche just pushed them to the limit and didn't give them a chance in the third period, absolutely smothered them, gave them a taste of their own medicine. And so it was pretty cool. And now, you know, in, in legacy isn't something that happens overnight. You learn about that over a period of time and we'll see what the avalanche can do. Uh, this is a fantastic championship and there are great champion Stanley cup winning team. But now uh, show me what you want to do. Show me what you can do next. So speaking of Stanley Cup finals, you called many of them during your time with Hockey Night in Canada, uh, CBC and Sportsnet. Um, during that time, for the ones that you covered and you personally called, are there any that stand out to you as highlights? You know, they're all really good. It's it's hard to distinguish one from the other because when you get a chance to call it, and, and, and I'd look at it more from the, the player standpoint and the team standpoint, you get a chance to play in the Stanley cup final. You've accomplished an awful lot. Um, and it's a long grind. I mean, I, I watch it and I've lived it in, in my own professional world, not in the physical sense of, of uh, living through it the way that the teams and players do, but it's a, such a grind. And if you, you've always been a watcher of the Stanley Cup final and the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know that as the, as the playoffs go on and you get into the third and fourth week and then the next, the, you know, the sixth week and the eighth week, you start to see the, the longer beards, the gaunt faces, the, the guys, that, they're just worn out. And, and that's why some some people always say that like the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs is the best round of the playoffs. And there there's something to be said about that because there's an incredible energy when teams get started in the playoffs. And and then it's survival of the fittest. And by the time you get to the Stanley Cup final, um, the teams like both teams are so ground down, and they you know everybody's got an injury. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to have your full lineup, uh, it probably gives you a real advantage. But I so admire the professional athletes that in a regular season game wouldn't play, but they're there in the Stanley Cup final and they're giving it everything they've got. So, yeah, so to distinguish one from the other, to answer your question, is really hard because I have such admiration for all of them. But, you know, the, the one that was a lot of fun um, was 2013, and that was after a work stoppage. So the guys hadn't played as many games, and it showed in the playoffs when Boston played Chicago in the Stanley Cup final. They hadn't been through 82 games; they, you know, they'd been through almost 50. And then the playoffs, and it was late, but it was two really good teams, and there was there were just some fantastic moments in two great hockey cities, and. Uh, that's that's one that stands out, but again, 
um, it's hard to distinguish one from the other because it's such a hard trophy to win. And I have such admiration for anybody who even gets a chance to win it. So before you started calling games nationally for Hockey Night in Canada, you spent a large part of your career calling games locally for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, as someone who is from BC, I know you're from Fort St. John. Um, how special was it to be the voice of the Canucks for so long? It was very cool um, because, yes, I grew up in British Columbia. I, I I still make my home in British Columbia, even though I moved away for a long time. I knew that. I knew that at some point I would come back, that this would be my home and it is my family's home. So yeah, it was, it was very cool. And the other thing was, well, like when I was in high school uh, working at the local radio station on a part-time basis, one of my jobs was to sit behind the, the board or the electronics in the radio station. And I would listen to the BC Lions games and the B- and the Vancouver Canuck games and my job was to plug in the commercials because the radio station that I worked at carried the Canuck and Lions games. So my job was to sit there every night and listen to them. And then, you know, when they went to a commercial break, I would plug in the local commercials and press the button and listen. So my nights were spent in the wintertime listening to Jim Robson and uh, in the summertime listening to Jim Cox. And they were, I just learned so much just by sitting and listening. So then to have an opportunity later in my life to, to work on the Lions broadcast at CKNW and then to broadcast the Canuck games on CKNW was, I wouldn't say it was a dream come true because when I slept, I never dreamed of going to work, but um, <laughs> it was, uh, it, it was, it was such an incredible achievement. And it was like mind blowing to me that I would get that job. Wow. I was pretty cool. So yes. And and then I, you know, I just had so much admiration for Jim and he said such a, Jim Robson set such a high standard for the position that I think that's why Vancouver broadcasters have always been so good. He set the bar so high that if you fall under it, you fall away. You have to achieve a certain level and he set that bar. And so I would, yeah, I was thrilled and, and had some really, really great years, uh, watching the Canucks and traveling with them and broadcasting their games. So your your career spanned decades, which means you saw all of the game superstar players up close during uh, your time calling games in the NHL. Are there any players that stand out to you when you think back on your career that you found extra enjoyable to watch? Maybe they don't even have to be superstars, just players that you, you really enjoyed watching and, and calling games for. Oh, boy, that's a really tough question because there's so many. <laughs> The hockey, the hockey world is a wonderful world in that it's, uh, there's such a humility, uh, amongst national hockey league players and always has been, it's been, you know, largely when, when I was growing up, the national hockey league were all small town Canadian boys. Uh, so they, they were no different than me. You know, they, I grew up in Fort St. John, but you know, the guys who, grew up in Grand Prairie, Alberta, or Swift Current, Saskatchewan, or, you know, in Ontario or Quebec, and, and the list goes on. And, you know, Al McInnes coming from Cape Breton, that, that sort of thing. They were all so humble and such team players. And then, you know, then you had the influx of the Europeans. And, like, who doesn't like the Swedish players? <laughs> like, they're the greatest guys. 
they're the greatest guys and they fit right into that. And the Finns were like Canadians and there was so much of that going on. Um, and, and the hockey world is blessed with a lot of really good people. And I think it comes from the fact that you can't win in hockey unless you have a good team. And that means uh, at every level. And I know it from coaching and I know it from playing and I know it from watching at the NHL level. You can have all the best players, but it doesn't mean you win. And it doesn't mean that you've got a good team. If you don't have good people that form a good team, then you don't win. And that goes and, and that works at every level. And that's, that's why you have to be conformist to a certain extent in the hockey world. And guys do conform to that and they become good team players and they support each other. So, uh, so it's really hard to pick out individuals. I, like I, I'm thinking about it today because Daniel and Henrik Sedin are into the hall of fame. Um, and deservedly so that you couldn't find two more humble superstars. If you searched every planet in the galaxy, like they're just the best, most humble people ever. And such an example for anybody who wants to be really good and wants, you know, I shouldn't say you have to be good, but for people to be good and then take it the next step and win um, you have to add something extra. And there's so many players like that in the National Hockey League. So I've, um, I've enjoyed a lot of years of sitting down with so many good players and so many good people in the game of hockey. And those are some of my most enjoyable days. I just, not, you know, it's, it may not be watching the game. The games are fantastic. But then to, you know, go into the dressing room and sit down next to whoever it is and chat about life and what's gone on and how the games went and what the next game means. Um, you guys have been so easy to approach. So, and I love watching, like, one of the leaders of the pack is Sidney Crosby. Like, how, how do you not follow a guy like that? And now you've got Nate McKinnon, who just, he just kind of fell from the same tree. Alex Ovechkin was misunderstood, I think, for a lot of years. But what what he understood when you watched him and listened to him and talked to him was that he wanted to win as bad as everyone. He just didn't communicate it as well in his early years. And so the hockey world, we're lucky. The hockey world is full of not just great players, but great people. So in addition to your NHL games, you also got to call hockey games at the Olympics as well. Um, how, how did that uh, compare to, to calling NHL games, Stanley Cup final games? What was your experience like uh, calling games at the Olympics? Well, it's very different because, um, you know, in, in the preliminary rounds, obviously there are, uh, there are good teams and there are teams that aren't so good. Uh, but there were some great stories, like watching Andrzej Kopitar lead the Slovenians uh, to a win and to you know, some pretty exciting moments when they knew they weren't going to win a medal in Sochi in 2014. It was fantastic. I love that. And I, I love the fact that uh, players in all sports enjoy playing for their country and waving the flag and being, you know, being patriotic. It's so good. Um, but there are a lot, you know, there are a lot of one-sided games. That's that's just the way it works in tournaments like that. The World Junior Championship has been like that for years. Uh, the World Championships are like that. Um, you're introducing the game to new countries, and they're getting better at it. 
Um, and in years gone by, it was more pronounced. Like there were two or three countries that could possibly win, and that was it. Now, you know, there's a there's there's more chances of an upset. But um, I, you know, as a proud Canadian, I was it was really cool to broadcast games at the Olympics and know that the whole country, uh, a, a whole country of hockey fans, were really excited to watch. And in 2014 in Sochi. Um, that is the Canadian team that won the gold medal is the best hockey team I've ever seen play the game. Bar none. It was, they were so good precision. Like they would only be ahead by one goal, but you knew that there was no chance they were losing the game and they were in control. It was, it was an amazing machine. So um, I wish we had more best on best. I love the world cup in 15 uh, in Toronto, I think it was 15. Anyway, I love that because I love people being able to put on their country sweaters and be excited about it and, 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 you know, want to win so badly for their homeland. And, uh, so yeah, it was a wonderful opportunity to broadcast some of those games. And, uh, I'll, I'll always remember those just because of the patriotic, patriotic, um, fervor in our nation and the way like people got up at three o'clock in the morning and went to a bar to watch a hockey game. Come on. How often does that happen? Um, so yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I was, I might've been one of those people getting up at three and going to the bar as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so going back even further, uh, you, you have a BCHL connection from early on in your career. Uh, I know you kind of got your start calling games, um, for the Kelowna Buckaroos. Um, what do you remember about those early days in your time working in the league? Well, actually my, my first job in the BC hockey league was, uh, and it was the BC junior league then, uh, was in Penticton. And it was in the 70s, and they brought, they brought the Penticton Vs back. So the Vs had been a uh, world championship team, very famous. They changed, and they, got, they disappeared, and there were you know, different iterations of the team in Penticton. And the year that I was hired to come to Penticton to call play-by-play, they actually they, they brought back the name of the Vs, and they put the team together. Um, so I moved to Penticton from Fort St. John and I was broadcasting the games in Penticton. Um, and then, but I got a phone call like like halfway through the season, uh, from a man named Sandy Brown, who was the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Buckaroos and at a radio station in Kelowna and asked me if I would move to Kelowna. And I asked him what he wanted me to do. And it wasn't play-by-play he wanted me to be his color commentator in the, for the BC junior league games uh, for the Kelowna Buckaroos. And eh, I wasn't really crazy about it, but then he offered me $50 more a month than I was making in Penticton. And I went from $650 to $700 a month. And I jumped at the opportunity. Couldn't wait. Um, And so spent a couple of years, uh, and we had a fantastic time because at the time, the BC Junior League was fantastic. It was really good. There was some great players. And Kelowna was a was an exceptional team. Uh, Wayne North ran the team. Wayne Horning was the coach. Uh, they just they had a really good operation going, and they recruited really well. So they had really good teams. Um, and the BC Junior Hockey League offices were also in Kelowna. So Brian Cooling, who was the 
president or commissioner of the league at the time lived there. So Sandy Brown and myself and Brian Cooling, he would he would jump in the car with us, and we traveled all over the BC Junior Hockey League watching games every night. You know, we he would jump in with us because he wanted the company and he wanted to see his league and he wanted to meet people. And so, you know, we would go to we had either go to Kamloops or Merritt or we'd make the coast trip and go to Nanaimo and, and see the Langley Lords or you name it. Uh, we traveled all over the place. Uh, it was a couple of absolutely wonderful years of watching junior hockey and being a part of a, a league that at the time was, uh, was kind of like it is now. It, it was flourishing. There were so many good players, uh, and it was fantastic to watch. And it was just an awesome time for a young kid who was uh, uh, probably was barely, wasn't even 20 at the time. But my job was driving around watching hockey games in BC. How could you go wrong doing that? Yeah, what could be better than that? Uh, yeah, given given your connections to the league uh, and, and obviously your great career, um, the BCHL announced recently that the, their Broadcaster of the Year Award will be renamed the Jim Houston Award. So uh, when you hear that news, uh, what, what does it mean to you um, to have that award named after you? Wow. It's, you know what? It's, uh, it's incredibly flattering and very humbling. And I hope for some young broadcasters, it's inspiring because when you, like I took the path that I don't know if it was the path less worn, but it was the only path um, at the time. So it was, uh, you know, find your, find a team to broadcast. Uh, you know, I started broadcasting the Fort St. John Flyers in the Peace Hockey League moved to the BC hockey league, got a chance to do things in the Western league, eventually got a chance to go to the NHL, but it was all put in time and getting the reps. And one of the things that you, um, you rebel against, or certainly I did, and I think a lot of young people do now is that you get tired of people telling you, geez, you, you know, you don't have enough experience. Uh, you need more experience. And, I would say, no, I'm not ready. I'm ready for the challenge of moving up to different levels. And then, you know, 20 years later, when you look back, you realize that what they were telling you was absolutely right. What you needed was some experience and some reps. And that's what I got. And that's what, you know, for you could spend a great life, and a lot of people have, uh, just broadcasting games in the BC Hockey League, and have a wonderful time. If you want to move up, it's it's a great stepping stone, but it's a great league, and it's a you can have a good life doing it. And so it's it's a great, it's a wonderful training ground. I've seen so many people come through it, and so if um, if having an award for being the, a, a top broadcaster, or one of the guys who's really good at it in the BC Hockey League. Um, is under my name and inspires somebody to move on a little further and be very good at it. That's, that's wonderful. And I, I hope that uh, in time um, for those people, I can be an inspiration to them because it's uh, it's, it was my training ground. It's where I learned to broadcast the game. It's where I learned to love, love the game even more than I had as a kid and a player and uh, it was it was just a fantastic experience. So it's it's a very humbling honor for me, Jesse. 
Last question for you. Uh, we mentioned at the top uh, your involvement with the BC Hockey Hall of Fame. For those who don't know, uh, what's your role with the hall and how did you kind of get involved with it? Well, I was inducted into the BC Hockey Hall of Fame uh, 10 years ago and was really excited about that. And it was it was a, a real honor and humbling again. But once I saw what was going on in Penticton in the hall and realized uh, – what what they were trying to do, I thought, wow, this is really cool because I'm from British Columbia. I grew up in the North and I grew up in the days, the halcyon days of senior hockey in British Columbia in the fifties and sixties when we didn't have a lot of TV. And when I was a kid, I didn't go to, I didn't watch the national hockey league. I couldn't, there was nothing there to watch, but I didn't miss a local hockey game ever. Fort St. John Flyers were my heroes. The Fort St. John Golden Hawks were the junior team that I played for. And they were, you know, those were exciting things for me. And I saw that all over the province and and it stayed with me. It it ingrained the love of the game, the passion for the game that I have. So when given an opportunity to sit on the board of the Hockey Hall of Fame, um, I jumped at it. And then I was later and now sit as the chair of the board of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And my goal is to build our hall, which is at the SOEC in Penticton. And it's a beautiful hall of 250 cases and that, um, that honor the players, the teams, the builders, and the history of the game in BC that is so rich. And so I just thought, wow, what an opportunity. Let's, let's celebrate this and make this hall a cool place that people want to visit and now we have we have a BC Hockey League section. We have a Western Hockey League section that represents the five teams uh, that play in BC. The Canucks are involved in it, um, and we continue to honor the builders, and people in BC hockey that have made the game such a prominent part of our province. And so I'm very proud to be involved in that. And that's uh, yeah. So that's kind of the history of how I got involved in it, and I still. I'm very passionate about it and think that everybody uh, who's a hockey fan in BC should drop by and have a look because it's beautiful. All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much. I know I kept you long, so I really appreciate you uh, chatting with me. It was an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you to the BC Hockey League for for bestowing such a great honor on me. And uh, uh, it's great to have a conversation with you, Jesse. Thank you. A huge thank you to Jim Houston for joining us. What a great conversation, and uh, how great was it to hear him reflect on his long and illustrious career. All right, one interview down, one to go. Let's get to our second interview, and that is with former BCHLer Campbell Blair. As I mentioned at the top, it was announced just this week that the BCHL was renaming its Top Defenseman Award to the Campbell Blair Trophy, and that's because Campbell Blair holds several records uh, for BCHL defensemen, uh, including goals and points in a single season, as well as assists and points in a career. After his BCHL career wrapped up in 1987, Blair went on to play at the University of Maine and embarked on a short professional career afterwards and then got into coaching. Uh, He went back to his alma mater at Maine and was an assistant coach there and eventually came full circle in the BCHL 
and joined the Victoria Salsa as the team's head coach. He spent five years behind the bench with the Salsa and uh, capped it off winning a Fred Page Cup in 2001. It was the team's first Fred Page Cup. And it was also his. Uh, the trophy eluded him as a player, although as you'll hear in the interview, he came close a few times. But um, that was a special moment for him to be able to come back and win the trophy as a coach instead of a player. Uh, so we had a great conversation with Campbell. Um, he shared plenty of great stories from his playing days, um, gave us an update on on what he's up to now and, and what it means to him to have the award named after him. So uh, let's get to it. Here's our chat with former BCHL defenseman and head coach Campbell Blair. All right, Campbell, you were born in uh, East Kilbride, Great Britain. You're a dual Canadian and Scottish citizen. I guess my first question to you would be, um, how did you end up playing in the BCJHL? Well, uh, obviously born in Scotland, but uh, didn't live there very long. We family immigrated to uh, Toronto in 67. So I was, I think I was under one at the time and, um, you know, became a Leafs fan from, obviously, that's the last year they won the Cup. Um, so, been a fan for a long time without uh, too much success. And my dad was, uh, he was in the Merchant Navy, so had sailed around the world and had uh, had wanted to actually move to New Zealand. And uh, Canada was an easy step at that point with, you know, with his work as a trade. Um, you know, brought him to, to Toronto, and then we made our way out to, to Prince George in, I think, 1973. And, um, you know, loved the outdoors as my dad did, and uh, we ended up never leaving. So that's, uh, that's what got me to Prince George. And, uh, you know, growing up, I grew up in Foothills uh, subdivision, which was kind of near. Um, Blue Rock Mountain, uh, just on the, the one side of Prince George, kind of a newer area, and there was a new little elementary school. And just fell in love with the game, fell in love with sports. I mean, I was a big soccer player and hockey player, and um, kind of did that growing up. And, you know, one, one step after another, uh, ended up in the BCHL. Yeah, you ended up playing uh, four seasons in the BCJHL, as it was known at the time. Your first season was with, uh, you broke in with the Shoe Swap Totems, uh, ended up with the Summerland Buckaroos by the end of the year. Uh, those are a couple teams that are, are defunct. They're, they're no longer uh, BCHL franchises. So for those who maybe uh, weren't around then or, or aren't aware of what uh, those franchises were like, maybe just let us know uh, what, what was it like at the time playing for Shoe Swap and, and for Summerland as well. Well, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. And, you know, um, you know, we grew up and I had a pretty good midget team, um, you know, played back when it was 15 and 16. I think it's actually moved up to 17 now. And, uh, you know, the, the Spruce Kings were in the uh, Peace Caribou League at the time. And they, you know, obviously the, the league was a little different. Prince George always had a good team, but it wasn't very highly recruited. And at that point, I, I knew I wanted to go to school. So I left Prince George in grade 12, uh, went to Salmon Arm for the Totems, and got traded in October uh, to Summerland. And Summerland, uh, the Buckaroos had just moved from Kelowna, 
they were in Kelowna the previous year. And then January 9th, I got cut. So here I am, uh, January 9th, cut. I went down to, to Richmond. Uh, another guy, Aaron Scott, uh, got cut from Penticton that year. And the two of us went down there to try out, and it was for a forward spot. <laughs> and, um, you know, I thought I did okay in our camp, and they signed, uh, they signed Aaron, which was fine. So I went home, and the Spruce Kings actually had a card left and wouldn't sign me. <laughs> so the remainder, remainder of that year, I played uh, on the juvenile team. They had, they had one spot left, so I played on the juvenile all-star rep team, whatever it was, back there. And everyone, I think, thought I was washed up. Um, so the next year, I went back to Summerland. Uh, the assistant coach, uh, uh, Joe Beggs, took over from uh, Wayne Naka. Uh, who left back down with the Kootenays and uh, played that year and, you know, had a, had a good year. Um, you know, was in the all-star balloting. Um, you know, we had, a, we had a pretty good team. We were pretty talented, uh, especially up front. We had a couple of young guys that, because uh, at that point, we were affiliated with Portland um, with the Winterhawks. So we, we had a couple of their 15-year-old players, Dave Archibald, uh, Brian Garrett, uh, you know, a couple guys that, you know, spent some time in the NHL uh, were on our team, but they were young. And then the next year, um, um, I had a guy, Gary Davidson, came in, he came back from Europe to coach, and uh, he coached me, and I remember at one point, Summerland was kind of losing some money in the, the ownership group was going to start charging us for billet costs and everything else. And, um, a friend of mine, um, another guy from Prince George was playing in Vernon at the time, uh, Sean LaFrost. Uh, he said, you should, you got to get out of there. And within two weeks I was traded to Vernon and, uh, you know, spent some time there. Um, you know, we had a really good team. Uh, you know, Dennis Holland was one of our stars that uh, Murray Barron, you know, another guy that played in the NHL. And uh, we had the infamous uh, Poole brothers, had uh, Shannon, Trevor, and Troy. So, you know, we were we had a tough team. And then, uh, you know, that year, the Enamarks uh, sold the team and Mel List took over. So I went back and spent some time with Mel in the summer. And there, I think there were three guys, uh, Alan Young, myself, and... Uh, Doug Spooner were the only guys from the team before, from the year before. So Mel went out and spent a little money and, and got some guys, Craig Bedard and uh, a couple other players, Kevin Scott. And, uh, you know, we had a good team. We just uh, ran into uh, some issues there in the playoffs. Um, but, uh, you know, I liked our squad. And obviously we were, I think we had four or five guys I think five guys in the top 10 scoring with uh, Kevin Scott uh, winning the scoring title that year, having like 50 points in the last 20 games or something. And uh, was crazy. And he was off to Northern Michigan. I was going to Maine. Doug uh, Spooner was going up to Anchorage. And so it was good. We were good. Tough. I mean, it was fun. Uh, I love the league. I love just all the towns. And I mean, I think when you 
the camaraderie and they miss the guys and they miss the locker room and, and everything else. And some of those friendships will last forever. Yeah, that last year, the 86-87 year in Vernon, uh, that was a, a pretty historic year for you. Uh, you set the record for goals by a defenseman in a single season with 38, points by a D-man with 109. Uh, that was your last year in the league, so you also set career marks, uh, most assists by a blue liner, uh, most points by a defenseman in a career. So those records all still stand today. The BCHL has always been known as an offensive league, so what does it mean to you to see your name at the top of all those record lists? when it comes to offense at your position? It's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I've played against and, and with some some you know great players. Uh, you know, my first year in the league, I think Brett Hall, that was the year he scored 105 goals. So, you know, you can imagine that. And, you know, you had, uh, you know, Ian Kidd was on that team too. And, I mean, they were very dynamic Um and it was older. I mean, the, I think the maturity, uh, the physical maturity of the league was was different than it is now. I think the kids are probably bigger and just as strong. But, um, you know, I remember, you know, the Langley Eagles or whatever coming up to play uh, Prince George, you know, for the BCHL title, I think the one year um, – I don't know if it was Langley or, or Abbotsford had 20, 20 year olds on their team. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, uh, they're, they're putting all the eggs in one basket. I mean, I just, again, I, I loved our group in Vernon. Uh, I loved our ownership. Um, you know, Ernie Gare and George Parker, uh, were coaches that let us play and, uh, you know, didn't put too many offensive restrictions on us. And, and uh, you know both big names in the you know in Vernon hockey especially, but uh, it was fun. I had uh, I had a young defense partner um, who was just fantastic for me. He was a great skater. He just moved the puck and uh, probably covered my ass more times than <laughs> I can remember. And uh, you know he was fortunate enough that year he made the All Star team and uh, Oli was a great. Great player, you know, only played a couple years in Vernon, but uh, was just a great skater, undersized guy that just moved the puck. And, and uh, we hit it off right off the bat, and, and we seemed to know where everyone was and seemed to know where each other was on the ice. And, and again, his skating ability got me out of trouble a lot of times. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you mentioned your commitment to the University of Maine after your year, final year in Vernon. You moved on to the NCAA and spent four years there. Uh, what was your college hockey experience like uh, as a player? It was okay. I mean, I, you know, in hindsight, I probably went to um, the wrong school uh, just as far as opportunity went. Um, back back then, like we had thirty five guys on our roster, wow. and we had we had uh, you know ten, twelve defensemen my first year. And you know, it was tough. It was it was a grind. Uh, Sean Walsh put a lot of pressure, uh, especially on his, his bottom three lines, I guess. You know, being the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and then you know the the six through ten, twelve defensemen. You know, you battled every week to play, and uh, it, you know it was it, it was it was a great experience. We had a great team. Obviously, I went back there with a coach, and you know I was there 
a total of nine years and went to five frozen fours. So you can't really complain about that. Never won it, which is you know the, the only regret. But you know, obviously in a game, somebody's got to lose. And, you know, we lost some nail biters. The, you know, the one nothing game to uh, to uh, Denver in Boston, and then we lost in overtime. Uh, to the Gophers in, in St. Paul in the XL Center. So that was, uh, you know, games that you you just rehash in your memory and and uh, it just goes on and on. Just no difference. I mean, we lost um, in double overtime in Game 7 to Kelowna to the Packers when I was in Vernon when, when Dennis was uh, playing before he went to Portland. And, and you know, those games, you just, look back and you go, you know, what could you have done different? Once your playing career ended, uh, you got into coaching. Uh, you ended up back at the University of Maine as a coach and then came back to the BCHL uh, where you were the head coach of the Victoria Salsa for five years. Uh, that all culminated in a Fred Page Cup championship in 2001. Um, with the salsa, so uh, what was it like for you getting into coaching and then uh, coming back to the BCHL and, and winning that championship uh, as a coach? It was awesome. I mean, we had a we had a I think a pretty special team. Uh, you know, we went in, we won. I think we beat Nanaimo in the first round in Game Seven. Uh, we beat Surrey in the second round three straight. It was seven, then five, then seven, seven, seven. And then we beat Burnaby uh, in game seven in Burnaby and played Merritt in the finals and uh, one, in, one in game seven uh, in Victoria. And so it was pretty crazy. We were pretty banged up. Uh, you know, we had some special players on the team. Uh, I mean, our goaltender who, Jordan Sigalette, didn't make the all-star team, but won the MVP of the year. <laughs> so that's how special he was. I mean, he was, he, I think he had put a lot of pressure on himself to uh, perform for schools uh, as he was highly recruited by a bunch of different schools and ended up uh, committing to Bowling Green. And I think after that point, I mean, he was, he was phenomenal. Uh, you know, he had uh, Aaron Voros, had a special year. I mean, I think he, he led our team in, in goals and points and fights. And so, I mean, he kept guys honest. Um, I traded or bought a guy. We bought a guy from uh, Couch and Adam Carter that uh, took a lot of pressure off Aaron, um, you know, as far as the phys- physicality and maybe a bit of intimidation factor. And then, you know, I traded uh, Brian McCormick to Penticton, who they, you know, to Brian, uh, Brian Perrier really wanted him. And I think uh, Brian was leading, leading the league or very close to leading the league in scoring. And I traded to him for Steve Sigety, who was, you know, he was a centerman that was um, from all my accounts and people I knew that had seen him play said, you know, we're very reliable and, and he became a, just a, a force, uh, you know, great penalty kill. Uh, he was a good power play guy, great face off guy. And, you know, just count on him. And, you know, he was going to school. He was already committed to go to, uh, Brown. 
and you know, we just we clicked and and you know in the playoffs we made some adjustments on different things. Burnaby was they were pressing us half ice and I had to beg uh, Mr. Wagstaff to rent some ice so we could run a practice to kind of break this uh, their trap. And you know, it paid off. I mean we scored the, the first we scored the first time they set up the trap. We did our breakout that we had worked on and, and scored. And uh, I had a French kid, Pierre Napper-Crenet, that had played four years in the league. That great kid, very smart. Uh, went to school. Uh, he went to the Holy Cross, and you know, just phenomenal work ethic. And I think the guys. Uh, I think I squeezed as much out of these guys as I could. And, you know, we lost the cameras, you know, are running on fumes. So after that, uh, you returned to Maine to coach for a period of time and then spent some time at Alaska Anchorage for several years. Um, and uh, so just curious, what, what are you up to since since then? Are you are you still coaching? Uh, what What's your day-to-day like right now? Well, I'm actually a uh, deputy sheriff in Washington County. Okay. Um you know, my my son was playing in Alaska, and I coached um, a bit up there. And then, uh, you know, he decided not to not to play, and now he's back playing. So um, I've just actually changed from on the street to uh, being uh, in court security. So I'm I've got the weekends off, and my nights are a lot more flexible than they were when I was on the street. So. I'll probably get back into coaching. My son, you know, plays at a lower level team. And it was the last. It was funny. The last practice they had, I asked him. I said, "Hey, do you mind if I ask the coach if I can come out and skate?" And uh, he goes, "Yeah." And he goes, "I think he's from Canada." <laughs> so I asked. I walked in and said, "Hey, um, do you mind if I come on the ice?" And he's like, "Who are you?" I said, well, "I'm James Blair's dad." And I, I said, "I heard you're from Canada." And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, I'm from Canada, too. And he goes, yeah, my son was born in Prince George. And I'm like, I grew up in Prince George. Oh, wow. So, small world. And uh, he goes, well, I guess you're going to run practice. And I I had just come from work, and I was in my jeans, and I had my skates and helmet and stick and gloves. So I went out there and ran practice, and there were a couple of the kids that that was the best practice he had all all year. So (laughs) made me feel good about that. you know, I want the kids to have fun, and when they have fun, they're more apt to work hard, and if they work hard, they're going to be better, and and that's something I've always told my kids and people I've coached. So the BCHL recently announced that they've renamed some of their individual year-end awards, and one of those awards is the league's top top defenseman which will now be known as the Campbell Blair Trophy so uh, what does it mean to you to, to get that kind of recognition well it's pretty cool um, you know I grew up you know not probably seeing you know remembering what I saw of Bobby Orr but it, I had a picture of Bobby Orr in my room and and uh, it was somebody that I strived for I always wanted to wear number four um, you know, my kids still try to wear that number, uh, and you know, to to be recognized um, as you know a, a top player in the league at really any point 
uh, is special. It, you know, it means a lot to me. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully there's kids out there down the road that uh, can play in the league and look up the record book. And, and uh, you know, if, if my name's still there, it's still there. If not, then, then great. Somebody's, uh, you know, gone out and, and, and bested that. So that would be awesome. Um, you know, I think the teams and the league and the parity are so much so much closer now than they, they were at different points of my career. Um, so, I mean, I think it's tougher and tougher. And, you know, you look at goalies nowadays, I think they're getting better and better and, 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 and stuff. But, hey, it's out there, you know, 38 goals. <laughs> I mean, if, if somebody can do it, I mean, that's, that's 52 games. So, I mean, we had some special nights. Um, you know, I remember... I remember scoring, I think I scored two goals in our last game of the year, second last game of the year, one off a face-off, and then uh, one uh, on a power play on the back door. And, you know, you watch you watch guys like, you know, Makar and, you know, these huge, huge boys coming up and, you know, the skill level. I saw the Canucks play with my son a couple of weeks ago here. I think it was the last or second last week of the year. Uh, in the NHL and we had uh, I had my Leafs hat on and my Canucks t-shirt <laughs> my son had a, a Canucks retro jersey and a wild hat so the skill level of some of these defensemen and you know the players in general you know and Gretzky was talking about it last night on TV saying you know it's unbelievable what these guys can do with this, their puck skills now Sometimes they, they may lack a little smarts at times, but you know, as far as their skill level goes, I mean, it's phenomenal what they can do. All right, Campbell. Well, uh, I kept you long, so really appreciate you uh, chatting with me. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time, and um, yeah, great to catch up with you. All right. Thank you so much to both of my guests, Campbell Blair, who you just heard from, and Jim Houston, our first interview on today's episode. And if you're looking for an interview with the third person that we talked about at the start, uh, Michael Garteg, who just had the top goaltender award named after him, uh, we actually spoke with him quite recently. He was on the April 15th episode of the BCHL podcast. So if you want to hear more from him, then scroll back in your podcast feed and find that episode from April. We'll be back next week with another new episode of the BCHL podcast. It'll be similar to this one. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the league is still announcing some additions and name changes to year-end awards. So there'll be a couple more coming out next week, and we will have full-length interviews with the people involved. So watch out for that next week. Watch out for the announcements on the award changes. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks to our producer, Greg Ballack, for putting this thing together behind the scenes. Uh, and we will talk to you again next week. Thank you.